The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. This morning we spoke about two kinds of people that are in the world. And of course, we identified them as the wicked and the righteous. Now, when we refer to God's people as the righteous, we're not talking about that from the standpoint that they always live righteously. But we're emphasizing the fact that they're righteous in Christ. When we ultimately stand before the Lord on the last day, he'll say to the righteous, his children, the sheep, come you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So we understand that uh, while we should strive to live righteous, matter of fact, Peter said, or the Lord speaking through Peter says, uh, that he says, be ye holy as I am holy. But we're trying to emphasize that we there's two kinds of people in this world. There's the wicked who have no fear of God, who have said in their heart, there is no God. And then there are the righteous that feel like they are poor in spirit. They mourn over their sins. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. They say, I'm less than the least of all saints. And they say, I'm the chief of sinners. And I trust that that latter category is the one you identify with. And so I'm going to talk this afternoon about that latter category. And I'm going to refer to it as our kind of people. The ones that we feel to be a part of. Now, one of the points we made this morning is that before a child of God is born of the Spirit, he only has the sin nature, and so obviously he is no different than the one that is not a child of God, that is not an elect of God, and who never will be born of the Spirit. We're in the same condition which the Bible refers to as dead in trespasses and sins, we're in the same condition as the wicked until the Lord sends His Spirit into our heart, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But what I want to talk to you about this afternoon is seeing that we haven't lost that nature. We've simply obtained a new nature. I want us to talk about how important it is that we manifest the kind of person we are. Did you know it's possible for a child of God to imitate the wicked? That's right. Uh, You may give others the impression that you are one of the wicked. 
And I can't think of anything that makes your life before God more meaningless, useless, and without purpose than for you to live in such a way that people really can't tell whether or not you are in that latter category of people being the righteous. We have that potential in us to live and wallow in the depths of depravity if we allow that old nature to rule. So let's begin in Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to see that there is so much in the Bible that talks about the conflict that we have as children of God between those two natures. And if the old man rules, we may not appear to be children of God at all. But if the new man rules, then we are doing what the Lord would have us to do. The Lord would have us to live our life in a way that honors and glorifies Him, that magnifies Jesus Christ in our lives. That's the real purpose in our lives before God. In Galatians chapter 5, and we'll begin with uh, verse 16, Paul says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now notice here, We're commanded to walk in the Spirit. The Lord wouldn't command us to do something that we don't have the ability to do. He says, walk in the Spirit, and as long as you are doing that, you're not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Now, if we were to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, which is, as far as I can tell, is the longest or rather the most detailed description in the New Testament with regard to the new birth, Paul devotes uh, about the first ten verses in describing uh, the translation and the change that takes place when we're born again. And when we think about the lust of the flesh, you remember he says there that we were, prior to being quickened, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and of the mind. And then following that, there's that verse I've been quoting, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So before you were born again, you were fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. And John said in 1 John 2.15 or 2.16 that there are only... uh, three categories of sin in this world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now we could use some modern terms and say there's uh, humanism, materialism, or let me, let me start over. There's there, lust of the flesh is uh, referring to our, our carnal nature, And then the lust of the eyes is materialism. And then the pride of life is humanism. Mm -hmm. 
So you see, there's no, as, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. The same kinds of sins that bothered the Lord's people hundreds and yea, even thousands of years ago are the exact same sins that bother you today. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, Satan may use entirely different tools, but those tools are still used to draw you into those same kinds of sins. So he says we must walk in the Spirit, or otherwise we'll be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. I don't believe you can stay neutral, or at least you can't stay neutral for very long. You're going to go from go to in one direction or the other. You know, Jesus didn't describe three ways. He said, broad is the gate and wide is the way that leadeth to destruction. And he said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. He didn't say, now in between those, That's right. there's a neutral way. And you can travel that way and your life won't be destroyed with sin, but at the same time, it won't be a real hard path to travel. There's only... Two given. Right. Now, notice here, he says, uh, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he describes in one verse here what Brother David, uh, what Brother David Wise was referring to in Romans 7. You know, there Paul developed this thought. But notice here in Galatians 5, 17, he says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now notice this. You have these two natures, and they're contrary. You ever heard someone say the, use the word about maybe they, there was a person that was always uh, trying to cause problems, and they'd say, well, he's contrary. Well, you've got two men, that is, two natures in you that are contrary to each other. It's bad enough to have one, isn't it? But you've got these two that are extreme in that sense, that they're contrary the one to another. And then I want to emphasize this. He says, these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now that says if we isolate that verse, that you do not have the ability to do the things that please God. That's what the grammar says, doesn't it? So that you cannot do. doesn't say you will not or you probably won't. You cannot do the things that you would. But you know, there's a companion verse to this in the book of uh, James when it, when it refers to our tongue, our speech, that is, what we say, and notice in James chapter 3, verse 6, he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. 
Now notice that. The tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So I've showed you two verses that taken on what they say in that, you know, isolated by themselves and what the grammar says is you don't have the ability to walk in the Spirit, and we would really like this one, wouldn't we? You don't have the ability to control what you say. You just can't help it. You know, the flesh would like that, wouldn't it? And, you know, James teaches that uh, if a man's able to control the tongue, he's able to bridle the whole body. That just means that you show me someone that can control their tongue, and I'll show you a mature Christian. I'll show you someone that has conquered practically all the other sins in life that tend to beset us in our walk with the Lord. So he says the tongue can no man tame. But you see, the key to that is the tongue can no man tame. You remember that story of the what we sometimes refer to as the wild gadarene, and we'll not turn to that now. But one of the things that specifically said about that man was that no man could tame him. No man could bind him. You know, they attempted to bind him with chains, but men were unsuccessful in everything they did to tame that man to bind him. But after the Lord came on the scene, and the Lord uh, dealt with the man, cast the unclean spirits out, the Bible says... He was clothed, and he was, uh, he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Yeah. See, man couldn't tame him. Man couldn't get rid of those demonic spirits that were controlling his mind. No man could tame him, but when the Lord got through with him, it says he was in his right mind. He was calm. He was seated. He was in his right mind. So we know, when we read what James says about the tongue can no man tame, and we connect it to the account of the wild gadarene that we can now interpret what's under consideration. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to control your tongue. There are a lot of Bible principles The Bible says there's a time to speak and there's a time to keep silence. If you try to implement all those verses that talk about things like let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, you try to apply that one. You try to go through Proverbs where there's multiple verses about what we should and should not say. But then we have this verse in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2 or 3 where it says there is a time to speak and a time to keep silence. I believe that coupled with those biblical principles about what we should say and how we should say it is a need for the impressions and guidance of the Holy Spirit. You know, as a minister, there have been several occasions where I would be in perhaps a, maybe the church had a business meeting, and maybe it was something that not everyone, there was uh, an issue coming up that there was not full agreement on. 
And, you know, a lot of times I think, well, I'm a minister. I need to take a lead in this. I need to certainly give my input. But yet if I, when I've been praying about it, there are times when it's almost the Lord was saying, buddy, just be quiet. You see that there may be, there may be principles that I could correctly apply. I could speak calmly. I could speak only good things, but maybe it's a time that I don't need to speak at all. So see, we need the scriptural guidance and also the internal guidance, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. So the tongue can no man tame, but we know the Lord can. In like manner here in Galatians uh, chapter uh, 5, he says, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not Fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But then look at verse 25. If we live in the spirit, and that word if can mean seeing that. You know, the Lord's not presenting this as if, well, maybe you are born again, maybe you're not. He's writing uh, Paul, the Lord is writing through Paul to the churches of Galatia, and he's essentially saying, seeing that that's the case, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So that seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Verse 17, you cannot do the things that you would. And then verse 25, if you live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. In other words, let's do those things for which he has just said, you can't do. How do we reconcile that? The same way we interpreted or explained the principle of the tongue in James. And here's what I mean by that. In Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now the expression all things there rarely ever in the Bible means everything without exception. It doesn't mean you can murder with the Lord's help, steal with the Lord's help. That's not what he's talking about. All things that are pleasing to God, all things that he would have you to do, I can do those things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But Jesus said in John 15 about him being the vine and we're the branches and we are totally dependent upon him. He says, without me you can do nothing. Now you can do all the sinning you want without him. You can, you can fulfill the lust of the flesh. But those all things that Paul was talking about are all the good things. Right. And all, we can do all things through Christ which strengthen us, us. And without him, we can do nothing. And then look at this uh, text in uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 19. Paul says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So the point I want to draw from all this that we've stated about the tongue can no man tame, as well as the verse that says the flesh is lusting it against the spirit and then says you cannot do the things that you would, is that we need the Lord's help. Amen. We can't go in our own strength. That's right. Now as a born again child of God you have spiritual life but we need 
We need to access that. We need to draw from it. We need to uh, be strengthened with might, as Paul said. Be strengthened with might, how? By his spirit in the inner man. You see, it's God's spirit that we need to be under the influence of. The Bible doesn't teach that, well, you're born again, you're a new creature in Christ, and that's all there is to it. (laughs) No, you're born again, and thank the Lord you can't lose that. You're a new creature in Christ. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day that Jesus returns, he will perform that work. I like what a preacher said one time when he said, here's what I believe about perseverance. I believe when you're born again, you stay born again. That's what I believe about it. Anything that includes what Buddy does may or may not happen. I may persevere. I may not. But if you're born again, you'll persevere in the sense that you'll stay born again. But see, there's more to it than that. If you live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So seeing that this is very difficult, as we've tried to set forth so far, Let's look at some scriptures that will give us some specific direction. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness. Now, Isn't it reassuring as primitive Baptists that we feel like the Lord has blessed us to distinguish between being darkness and being in the dark? Before you were born again, you were darkness. He says here, uh, he says, um, verse 8 of Ephesians 5, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the word, light in the Lord, walk as children of light. So you see, the point is, you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. How did you get to that condition? Paul said, uh, He hath delivered us, He hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Not unto the kingdom, not almost in it, but into the kingdom of God. When you're born again, you're taken from this one dominion uh, of darkness and you're placed into this other dominion of light. We're in the kingdom of his dear son. And you remember Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you. Now there are a lot of applications to the kingdom of God. But in one sense, it's in you. Ye were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In other words, behave in such a way that people know that you are light in the Lord. Amen. For the fruit of the Spirit is all in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Now watch this. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now here's one 
important concept of how you can walk in the Spirit that is not fulfilled the lust of the flesh. Here's what you can do with the Lord's strengthening help. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. I shared this recently, and I don't know if any of you were in my presence or not, but I'm going to share it again. I was pastoring a church one time, and this was many years ago, and a new family joined our church that had not come up among the old Baptists. And this was a spiritual family. You know, they were new to the truth, but they weren't new to trying to live a God-honoring life. And there was a meeting at another primitive Baptist church in the area, and I encouraged the son in this family that joined our church to go to that meeting. They have a lot of young people over there. Well, he went to the meeting, and they went somewhere after church. I don't know if they went to a movie or went out to eat or something. And his report to me was this. They're no different than anybody else. That hurts, don't it? And if you think it hurts you personally, oh, how that hurts the witness of the church. That puts the light out, doesn't it? You may be the only one from your church that several people, perhaps many many people ever meet. And they're going to judge your church by you. See, we have a tall order, don't we? So one of the first steps you can take is, he says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. In other words, don't associate with people that are involved in ungodly things. You have no business with them. You have nothing in common with them. As Paul said in writing to the church at Corinth, what fellowship hath light with darkness? If you're a member of the Lord's church, you have no business living like the world. Don't associate with them. Associate with godly people, people that will uh, do things that bring honor to the Lord and and honor to his church, which is his witness in the earth. You know, isn't that a special, that's something we emphasize often to young people, maybe not even realizing that that's exactly what this verse is teaching. You know, we want our children to be careful regarding the company they keep. How many children that have fell by the wayside did someone say regarding them, uh, well, they went with the wrong crowd? That's what this verse is saying. Don't go with the wrong crowd. If you're, and and this applies to people of every age, but if you have, I don't care what age you are, but if you're, it's just a, 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 there's a special challenge uh, to young people who are under peer pressure, if you have friends that openly talk about committing fornication and, and having that kind of relationship outside the bounds of marriage, quit hanging out with them. Paul said evil communications corrupt good manners. That just simply means uh, uh, the company you keep affects you. Amen. You're not If you think you're a spiritual superman or superwoman, you're deceived. I'm glad I know I'm not. I don't feel like I've arrived. Do you? I don't feel like that, you know, I I think of this sometimes. I've known of this several times. 
when people, uh, we were, I was talking to someone one time about uh, this, this couple wasn't married, and yet he was at her house quite often, and nobody else was there. And I said to someone, I said, you know, I just wouldn't trust myself in that situation. And they said, well, well buddy, you're a preacher. Why, why do you say that? I'm not a spiritual superman. I am not going to put myself in situations like that. And the more you recognize you can't trust yourself, the better off you are. Amen. Oh, my Amen. friends drink that I go out with, but I don't. Why are you out with them? <laughs> Evil communications corrupt good manners. You know, when I was coming up in the church, it was hard to find another young primitive Baptist. Today we're in many churches we're very blessed. But I remember I can clearly remember I grew up in the Tuscaloosa area. I remember one time going to a church in Birmingham when I was about 14 where Elder Ernie Stump was the pastor. He had some children that were our age and after church that Sunday we went skating, and I remember thinking, wow, there's actually other young people that are primitive Baptists that want to live a godly life. Wow. That's, it's, you know, I remember going to a lot of churches where it was all elderly people. And, and, and I, I'm not speak obviously I'm not speaking evil of elderly people. I'm just saying that, that we need the influence of all the people, That's don't we? Right. Amen. But don't take this attitude either. Don't say, well, yeah, there's a local primitive Baptist church where I go to school. But it's all old people there. And there's this other church over here. They offer a lot for the young people. The problem is you're looking for something offered to you. Right. You're not going to church to get you something, to have something provided for you, to keep you entertained and you motivated. You're going there, hello, to sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed. You say, well, my friends laugh at me for going to that old church. So what? You're trying to honor the Lord. The best thing you can do there is encourage the older generation. That's such a, that's a much higher calling than going to see what you can get. Right, amen. I remember when I first started preaching, going to some, you know, I tell the young people at Zion, y'all are spoiled. You don't realize how good you have it. I remember going at one time to churches where the buildings were in such a rundown condition. I remember when I could truly relate to the prophet who referred to God's kingdom as a byword. And he referred to those who passed by and, and, and uh, waved their head saying, is this the kingdom that men call the city of truth? I can remember when many of our churches only met once a month. We didn't have, we didn't take, uh, we weren't concerned about the upkeep of our buildings. There's a few still like that, but I'm thankful that's the rare exception, wow. not the rule. Amen. And I'm not necessarily blaming the preachers. If I only preached somewhere one hour a month, I'd probably be burdened to establish them in the fundamental doctrine each time because they're, the rest of the month they're being exposed to false doctrine. Right. But man, we <laughs> there's not enough time 
to preach everything God's people need Amen. to hear today. Amen. The Bible has all the answers. Amen. All the answers to your marriage problems. Now, I don't want to be those preachers that make a certain subject a hobby horse. And since my children are grown, I don't think I'm making this a hobby horse anymore. But have you ever heard a parent with young children out of control say, I don't know what to do? book of Proverbs is full of specific counsel. For example, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. To use a modern way of saying that, uh, your child is preloaded with software. When that child's born, it has uh, software in him that's got a bad virus. And it's not working right. And he will let you know before he can walk that rebellion is in his heart. The Bible never teaches child abuse. And when it says the rod of correction, that word literally means a switch. And I've often said you, you can't injure a child with a switch. You just you, He'll feel like he's dying, but you can't injure him with a switch. God knew what he was doing. You see, the Bible has the answers. I remember one time meeting, the, we had a friend that uh, the husband and wife were both doctors. And we had several children at that time, and they had one child who was about two years old, and they couldn't go out to eat because they say, I don't know what to do. We can't control the child. See, the Bible has the answers Amen. to your modern problems today. So Paul says, your light in the Lord, walk as children of light, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, would it not be refreshing, and I know I'm picking on the young people and there's not many of them here, but all of you know some young people, so I don't want them to think I'm just talking to them. All of you know some young people. All of you have some children. All of you have some grandchildren that are in that time in their life when they're under a lot of influence. Wouldn't it be refreshing to see more people of any age reprove the works of darkness? Mm -hmm. To say, no, I'm, I can't go with y'all because I don't drink. I can't go with y'all because I want to maintain a moral standard. I, I want to maintain moral purity in my life. How refreshing it is when God's people will not fellowship with darkness and they actually reprove it. They identify what it is that they don't want to be influenced by. Yeah. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And then... Let's look at one more in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Now, what I like about this portion of Scripture, it sets forth a principle that it sets forth two principles that seem to contradict each other. But if you understand salvation by grace, and you also understand that God commands us to save ourselves from this untoward generation, 
then you'll see the harmony that they have one with another. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does it mean to be dead indeed unto sin? You know, I used to read that and say, well, that means you don't, you're not interested in sin anymore. And I would say, well, that definitely don't include me. I'm not dead to sin. How about you? Does sin never bother you? Is it, is, is it as if sin has zero attraction to you? That doesn't describe your... Well, in the earlier verses, he defines that. In verse 2, he says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, it's possible to continue to live in sin, but how can you do that seeing you're dead to sin? And then notice this. Here's the Bible's definition of it in verse 7. He that is dead to sin... He that is dead is free from sin. In other words, sin doesn't determine your destiny. Sin doesn't determine where you will spend eternity. Sin is destroyed in terms of its final power over you. Jesus defeated him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So he says here, he says, don't let, uh, he says, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. In other words, the word reckon is an accounting term. In other words, here's the situation. You are saved from the consequences of death through Christ. That's right. So now, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign... You know, if someone's reigning, they're the supreme one in control. You know, a king reigns and rules. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, here's, a new, here's another good practical principle. The one in Ephesians said, don't fellowship, don't go out with those that are involved in immorality and ungodliness. Now, here, notice what he says. Uh, verse 13, neither yield... Ye are members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, an instrument is that by which you work with something or partake of it or participate in it. For example, if a plate full of, let's say someone gave you a bowl of chili, but you don't have any utensils, that's going to greatly decrease your desire to eat that chili. Unless you're ready to eat with your hands. You know, if if you're trying to lose weight and food is set before you and you don't have any utensils, unless it's a sandwich or something like that, that's going to really lessen the temptation. Well, there's a lot of things out there that your members, and that means the parts of your body, that could include that which is 
sensual, but it also can include a lot of other things like your, your eyes, your desire for materialism. If those things aren't around you and aren't in front of you, you can't yield your members as instruments unto them. Right, that's right. Just like if you had nice silverware out here, you had a steak knife, a salad fork, a regular fork, and every, everything you needed, but there was no food, then you're not going to have a problem, are you? Right. Well, in like manner, keep yourselves in environments as best you can where there's, there's not an opportunity to use those instruments. Amen. He says, don't yield yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. But he says, uh, he says, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In other words, yield yourself to things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You know, we have lost in a big way the idea of the older women teaching the younger and the older right. men teaching the younger. Amen. In other words, this is a picture of a young woman or a young man who desires to be with the older, more knowledgeable, wiser, more experienced church members. If you are struggling with a toddler... You know who the best person is to seek counsel from? Not a man who wrote a book that didn't have any children. But you know, I, we, my generation, and a little older than me, had a special privilege. Because our parents were raised during the Depression. And they had large families. They didn't have a choice but to teach their children to get online. Their children, one of the reasons they, they, one of the ways they took advantage of large families, that was more free farm labor. And how, how many times have you heard people of that generation say this, there's no way I would have talked back to my daddy. How many times you hear it today? See that? See, that's what my generation got to take advantage of. See, I grew up with, uh, my parents weren't wealthy, but I grew up with prosperity. I grew up with, with ease in complete contrast to how my parents grew up. Working in the field from sunup till sundown. I remember my daddy saying he used to work for 50 cents a day. There, you know, I know my family's heard this more than a couple of times. But do you ever see on Facebook where somebody will show something from the 70s and make out as if that's so different and so old? In other words, you had a rotary dial phone. You're so outdated and old-fashioned. and Oh, what disadvantage you had. That's nothing. My daddy didn't have a phone. My daddy didn't have electricity. My daddy didn't have plumbing in the house. My daddy had cracks in the floor. My mom and daddy had to go and chop wood to bring in to get breakfast started. These people that are posting stuff from the 70s and 80s as if that's some bad world, they don't know what they're talking about. 
My parents' generation knew what it was to do without. <laughs> you know, you didn't say, I don't like what we're having for supper. They never said that. <laughs> if it was food, it was great because they had been working all day. So he says, don't yield yourselves to these things. Don't put yourself in a position where you can yield to. You know, one of the, one of the ways that people get involved in trouble is they have too much free time. Amen. I've heard my parents say that when we got through working and ate supper, we're ready to go to bed. They're exhausted. And I've heard them say, if we had a little bit of time on Sunday afternoon to play, we never said to mom and daddy, I'm bored. <laughs> they knew not to say that. Because they would solve that problem immediately. So you see, we need to, I know we're not living in that time, but we can still take advantage of those same principles. Yeah, right. The Bible says the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Diligent means keep at it, work, be diligent, get a sense of accomplishment. Involve yourselves in wholesome things. It doesn't have to be spiritual things all the time. Involve yourself in wholesome things, work, reading, uh, doing yard work, whatever. You know, do something wholesome and good. And that way you won't have an opportunity to yield your instruments unto unrighteousness. Amen. And then let's conclude with this. I love this. You know, Paul said in verse 12, don't let sin reign in your body. That means you have the potential to allow that to happen. But then look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. I tell you, that's why I'm a primitive Baptist. Amen. Amen. Even if I do let sin beat me every day, even if I do fail over and over, I can remind myself of this. Sin ultimately will not win. Amen. It may win every day of my life here if I'm not careful, but one day sin will lose, and it will lose forever. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? You're not under the law. What you do doesn't determine whether you're saved or not. Right. You're under grace. Amen. And if you understand grace correctly, you're not going to be saying, let us continue in sin that grace may abound. Amen. I had someone tell me not too long ago, well, the reason I don't want to believe what you do is because uh, that, here's how he said it, that can't be the truth because that would encourage people to live in sin that grace may abound. And I said, actually, that proves that what I believe is the truth because the Bible addresses that exact issue. If you're thinking, well, if I believe what you believe, don't care how I live, that's just proving that what I believe is the truth because there's two or three scriptures in the New Testament. For example, Galatians 5.13 says, you've been called into liberty, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Right. Don't say I'm saved by grace, so I'm just going to live any old way. And as a matter of fact, you wouldn't do that in any other area of life, would you? If I could not pay my mortgage, 
And Brother David Wise went to the bank and paid it off. I wouldn't say, well, I don't care how I treat Brother David. Mm. That doesn't make sense, does it? In all of life, if somebody helps us in an area where we can't solve it ourselves, we don't say, well, he paid off the debt. He can't undo it. The bank has, has canceled it. There's nothing, since Brother David can't undo it, I don't care how I treat Brother David. That makes no sense. No. But you know, there's, there's, you could preach a sermon on things that people say about God and the kingdom and his truth that you would never apply to your daily life. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.